0: NAD Ministerial presents Adventist Ministry, a Best Practices podcast with Dave Gilly. I want for us to turn there to the Old Testament. I'm gonna read.
1: Welcome you. to EH. The- <laughs> and this morning we're having a baby dedication, you know, every now and then. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, in the name
2: of
3: the Son, and in the name of the Holy spirit.
2: We're about to go eat. We want to thank you for the food. Is
3: there a second to the motion? To present to you the happiest newlyweds in all the land. Muy buenos días, amigos, hermanos y familias. God, give us
1: strength and power to live like you told us to live.
2: Welcome to the Best Practices Adventist Ministry Podcast. I'm Dave Gemmel. What words come to mind when I say, church board? Some may say, waste of time, church fight, never ending, nitpicky. Others might say, uplifting, unifying, productive, fun. How would you like for your church board to move from the first group to the second? Well, you're in luck. Today's title is Three Tips for Church Boards. I've gathered tips from experts and interspersed them with powerful tips that came when I asked Adventist pastors in an online group to share, and they really delivered. So, let's dive in with tip number one, be prepared. Andre Gongalvez of Dallas First believes that having the right people on the church board makes all the difference. And it starts with the organizing committee.
4: Uh, I think the organizing committee is key to the nominating committee so that we have a healthy group that is voting the leadership and the future board into existence, right? So the organizing committee for me is really, really important because that's where you kind of create a process of having a representative nominating committee. It doesn't mean that we have to nominate a certain amount of, of people by uh, race or ethnicity or diversity, but at least those who are making the decisions for the nominating committee, uh, they should. we should have a nominating committee that represents the church. So it's not a false sense of diversity. It has to somewhat match the reality of the church. So a lot of that, I have a s- small grid that I use and looking at age, different age groups, different uh, uh, genders, and then kind of Voting by block. Let's say we have the young ladies. How many? What's the size of the nominating committee? That's where I normally start. Okay. What would we think is the representative uh, group of of ladies and gentlemen in our church, and therefore the nominating committee should, at best, uh, well, the best way possible, represent that kind of diversity, that kind of balance or lack thereof that exists in the church. It should represent the local church, not what we ideally
2: think that it should be. So you start with a representative large committee that elects the nominating committee. And according to Andre, what qualifications should nominating committees be looking for in selecting board members?
4: Uh, a nominating committee is initially just looking for leaders right leaders who will lead out in the different functions of the church whatever these may be whatever the needs of the church really are so it's not like filling the gaps and i've I've done it in several ways but the basic thing is we're looking for the gift of leadership
2: so you mentioned leadership what other competencies would you need to flesh it out
4: well that's very diverse i'd say it depends a lot on the makeup of the church uh, I think I look for people who have wisdom. They might not be uh, leaders. We look for people who have some uh, group of inform- or some type of information available that is not as easy accessible. It, it really depends on what the reality of the church is, but definitely wanting to bring just more than leaders into a board position, and and that may look very different depending on what church that you're. You're looking at, others are are going to be those who are more counselors uh, or or maybe mental health professionals or whatever that might be, or, or even if it's not from the educational side, there might just be the giftedness that is just very clear to the members of the nominating committee, and we say, we really do need this person
2: in a board position, although they're not in a leadership position. Another person who's essential is someone who has the skills in keeping minutes. Why are minutes important? Here's Karnak Dukmetzian, General Counsel for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists.
0: Let me talk about minutes. Remember that there are many states that require the maintenance of minutes and books, records of account. It doesn't matter if you're a corporation or an unincorporated group like a local church. They require those minutes to be kept. But remember that the minutes are not transcripts of what took place. I don't care about who said what. I don't care if five people voted for, two people voted against. You can put in the minutes sufficient information to set the stage of what it was. All I want to know is, what did you guys vote? Voted and then the action. So now that you
2: have, as Jim Collins says, the right people on the bus, what's next? South Atlantic Pastor Everton Ennis, serving New Jerusalem in noon and Noonan First, shares his passion for relationships.
1: You you build these relationships outside of the meetings. You've got to be close to your your your, your key leaders, your treasurer, your clerk, your elder, your elders. Elders are indispensable. Um, God invented them for a reason. They're the pastor's right hand and especially your head elder. So um, and when in my situation, when I come just because I love to make people laugh. So um, we're always, as we say in our terminology, cracking up. And uh, you look for opportunities to 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 make people feel good. Okay,
2: so now we have the right people and have good relationships. Let's talk about setting the stage for the board meeting itself. One thing we overlook sometimes is the actual room where we meet. Let's turn to perhaps the greatest expert on meetings in Adventist circles, and that's Lowell Cooper, former vice president of the General Conference. Here's what he said on the show Ministry in Motion. I think a good
5: meeting place is one where there's adequate lighting. Everybody is able to hear Everyone is able to see each other. Where the temperature of the room is conducive to comfort. So these are just, they sound like such you know, little things but they are very important mm. in how groups work. Because when somebody becomes uncomfortable in the room for whatever reason, I can't hear or I can't see, uh, it affects how we participate in decision making and it affects our, our relationship to the leadership of the group, and and indeed our reactiveness to group process.
2: Aha. Maybe that explains why board members are sometimes cranky. How many times do we miss these details?
1: Everton calls it being prepared. Here he is again. You have got to demonstrate to your team, your church board, that you are a prepared pastor in the same way you're prepared for sermons. You ought to be prepared to lead that meeting that means your agenda that means your own state of mind that means you 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 send them the material ahead of time which i call the agenda packet so that you're giving them a fair opportunity cuz they're intelligent people you don't want to come to a meeting and drop something on them that they weren't expecting send that stuff to them ahead of time show them the respect and the regard they have intelligence to ponder over things and be ready for the meeting it shortens a meeting it reduces some of the the back and forth and, and, and the questioning and so forth.
2: A big part of preparation is getting out the agenda and supporting documents early enough for each board member to be prepared. Here's David Salazar, Youth Director, Washington Conference.
6: Right, one of the things I have found uh, found effective when I was pastoring was about half a week before I would send out electronically uh, Evernote agenda on Evernote. Uh, I had pictures so that it appealed to the visual people but more importantly I could attach and they could click and download or see it on screen the page that uh, added some extra information like a handout or anything that they could look ahead of time including uh, past minutes, uh, to some degree, even the financials of the church, but I sent it to the entire church so that they could be informed of what was going on, and it actually brought participation. We'd usually get about three or four non-board members, and that really helped in quelling a lot of infighting and afterwards, why was this decision taken and why that decision wasn't taken.
2: In addition to getting the info out in advance, it's our duty to make sure that the supporting documents are solid. Here again is Karnak Dukmetzian.
0: Board members need to be involved and informed about what's going on so they can make appropriate decisions. Uh, Duty to rely on trustworthy sources of information. They're going to be looking to you as the pastor. You're their trustworthy source of information. You're going to be the one providing them that information. You're going to be the one guiding them. So there's an onus on you as the pastor to provide good information and to lead them, but then allow them to make that decision.
2: Now let's focus a moment on giving thought to the sequence of items on the agenda. Personally, I like to think of the agenda as a script to a story, with each item leading up to the most important decision that needs to be made that day. And if that main thing is out of sequence, it can be disastrous to the decision process. Here again is the boardmaster, Lowell Cooper.
5: This is again a thing that is often a complaint, is that the most important issue on the agenda is put last in the sequence of things. And it comes at a time when people, the members of the group, are beginning to think beyond the time of the meeting you know, their next assignment, where they're going from here, and so forth. They're, they're, they're looking at their clock, mm-hmm. at their watch, and they realize that, you know, we're coming to the end of time. And yet, this is the most important. This is the thing we came to work on. And we've spent our time on little, uh, little bits of mm-hmm. less important information. So I think from the standpoint of design, the leader of a board or a committee would be well advised to put the most important thing up near the front of the agenda. It may not be the opening thing, but it needs to be near the front of the agenda because that's the time when the members are freshest in terms of their minds, their energy, and their focus.
2: And that brings us to tip number two, make quality decisions. So how do you make a quality decision? What does that process look like? How can you harness all the disparate resources of your congregation together in mission? And of course, it goes without saying that equality quality decision should be legal. Or maybe we should say it. Here again is our general counsel, Karnik Dukmetsian.
0: There's also an obligation to be in compliance with the laws. Laws are put in place to protect society. And... As churches, we're not above society. We're not, we're not above the law. We have to obey what the law says. Just because we're churches doesn't give us that extra right to move on and do whatever we want to do. We have to act within the scope of those, uh, of those laws. Now
2: that we've got the legal disclaimer out of the way, let's move on to process. As I mentioned earlier, a great agenda is like the outline to a story. And the art of a good story is not so much what you put in, but what you leave out. Many board meetings grind on and on about trivial things. Does every tiny decision need to go through the church board? Here's David Hamstra, pastor at Edmonton Central.
7: My my short and powerful point, uh, you can evaluate how powerful it is, but uh, my point would be that we should have a principle that things that don't affect the whole church don't get discussed at the church board level. Those conversations happen elsewhere in other committees or other uh, you know, uh, constituencies, stakeholders, uh, so that the board conversation remains focused on the big things that matter for everybody who's there and people don't feel like their time is being wasted. I love that idea.
2: But I asked David, how do you get a church board that's in the habit of micromanaging everything to delegate the small things and focus on the big picture?
7: Well, you, you have to have the conversation, I think, at the board level first, if, if there's resistance to bringing in that principle. I found that, you know, when I insist on that as a chair, usually most of the people are quite happy that I'm insisting on that as a chair. But if you encounter resistance, you have to have the conversation about it. But then um, you need to have the other departments in the church actually doing their work, you know, holding their meetings, taking their minutes, forwarding the minutes to you if you're not in the meeting, or even if you are, right? Just uh, so that you you can keep track of what's happening, that that stuff can then get forwarded to the board level for anybody who's interested. Uh, they can follow along what's going on by reading. And if anybody has input to give on that, they can contact the department leader directly. Uh, forming subcommittees in larger churches is very helpful as well. Uh, finance committee is a, is a good start in that because You've always got those folks on the board who love to drill down in the details of the financial report during the board meeting and everybody else is sort of nodding off while that's taking place. Put them all on a finance committee, let it happen. I mean, we need that kind of oversight, but if it can happen in the finance committee level and then they report back to the board and we take any final questions there, it just saves a lot of people's time and uh, you can do that in other areas as well. Maintenance would probably be another great one to form a committee like that.
2: That allows a church board to get back to the most important things. And now is where the fun begins how to have quality group decisions. But before we go there, let's lay down the governing structure of the Seventh day Adventist Church. It's not a dictatorship, it's not an oligarchy, and hopefully it's not anarchy. But what is it? Let's go back to the boardmaster. Law Cooper. Uh,
5: Democracy basically says that everybody has a part in arriving at a decision and the decisions of the majority become the decisions of the group. That means that even if I disagreed in the process of arriving at the decision, I disagreed, I voted against the proposal on the board but the majority of the board voted in favor of it. That decision is also my decision, even if I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. It's my decision <clears throat> because I was part of the group. Mm-hmm. I should say really it's the group decision and I respect it as the group decision, even though I differed with it. And, and I have to be faithful to that uh, even after the meeting. Yeah. If I'm uncomfortable with it, uh, you know, I, 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 can, I can express my discomfort, but I have to be respectful of the group decision.
2: That sounds like it could be messy. The very nature of democracy allows for disagreement. Even the language we use at board sounds divisive. All those opposed? Everton Ennis has an easy fix for that.
1: I don't, when I'm taking an action, I, I said, those in favor, please say aye. I. I don't say those opposed. I say those not in favor, please say nay.
2: Or if you're ready to move past archaic Middle English, you could just use the words yes or no. Language helps, but we've still got the potential of conflict hanging over our heads. So let's discuss some strategies used to process good decisions and reduce conflict. Well, one strategy is to preserve unity at all costs by requiring consensus or supermajorities. Matthew Schellenberger, associate pastor at Ulduwa, points out some of the unintended consequences of such a strategy.
4: Be careful about uh, instituting you know, like arbitrary thresholds for motions to pass. What what I mean is like setting a you know a two thirds majority has to has to approve a motion in order for it to pass. Because what can end up happening, that, that, there may be a good motivation for that. You know, what you're, what you're trying to avoid when you do that is you're trying to avoid a situation where, a, you know, a, a board is split and 51% uh, vote a certain way and then your board is divided because uh, of the, that particular motion. But the challenge with setting a threshold, like say a two-thirds majority, is you may end up with a substantial... Uh, percentage of your board that is actually in favor of a motion, but it will fail to pass. And then you'll have even more board members who are disgruntled.
2: On the other hand, in our discussion, Matthew and I also knew that if a consequential action carries only by a slim majority, it can lead to a church split. The trick is to try to guess how consequential the vote really is in advance. Hopefully we've done our homework and talked one-on-one with most of the influencers. But what if we guess wrong? We've unleashed a church war. So, here's an idea. What if we let the board itself weigh in on how much unity is needed for a particular vote? I'm intrigued by a technique that Karen Lewis, pastor of the Pathways Church, has developed.
3: Um, I'm not going to lie and say that Every board meeting or business meeting has been a walk in the park. No, that, that hasn't happened. Um, but I will say that every whenever we've had a very important issue that we needed to address, and I know that it's gonna be a potential powder keg. I know that emotions are tied to it. I know that passions are high. What I do is what I observed Mark Finley do years ago with a potential split in the church. What he did I thought was really good and I just basically take it a step further. What I remember him saying is this, talking about he would read scripture on unity and how important unity was. And then he would say uh, something about how many of you believe that if God were here right now that he would want us to be united. Well, every hand is being raised at that point. And then, so then he went into his vote. But what I do then is I say, okay, let's vote on what percentage would need to pass this uh, this uh, vote in order for us to preserve unity and have it carry through. Is it 100%? How many of you would say we, it would have to be 100%? You might have some hands raised. What about 90%? When I get to 80%, almost every hand is raised. And I said, would someone like to make a motion on that? And they do. And at that point, if it's less than 80%, they voted it, right? They voted it. So we, we, God (laughs) takes care of that situation. And I think that that is so important because I'm not dictating, I'm not manipulating, I'm letting them make the call on the importance of unity and what percent would be needed to preserve unity and go forward at the same time.
2: Another powerful technique that I learned as an intern from my mentor, Richard Lee Finn, is what we call now today, ranked voting. This is particularly helpful in personnel decisions. If there are several names up for one office, everyone writes down the names of their recommendation in order of preference. This assures that the elected candidate will have the support of the majority, although it may not be the first choice of some. Ranked voting also prevents a candidate from being elected that is supported by a strong minority, but opposed by most. And this brings up the tool of the secret ballot. Carnick was asked about the secret ballot at his seminar at the 2015 CALD convention.
0: Do you recommend secret
1: ballot voting?
0: It depends on the issue. You know, most issues are not controversial, and so, yeah, a hand vote is fine. But there, there may be issues where a secret ballot will work very effectively because people don't want to expose how they're voting, and it gives them that sense of privacy. Yes.
2: These are some tools that we can use to build unity without resorting to authoritarian uniformity. And much of this process of discussion and listening to each other, if done well, can itself build unity. James Weingartner, pastor at Keene, likens it to combing your hair.
7: Meetings in church work are more combing than they are changing. They get us all going in the same direction because we're meeting together in unity as family. People will not remember every action you took at a board meeting. In fact, they probably won't remember any of them. The Effect of unity in a board meeting is not to give people thoughts and ideas and and information. It is a combing process. People come to the board meeting like your hair in the morning. And as you discuss stuff in the board meeting, everybody kind of develops a unity and gets on the same page and starts to feel like they're getting combed into the group. And so it's a combing process more than it is an informational process.
2: As we close out this section on quality decisions, Tyler Craft, Pastor and Tracy, reminds us that a decision is meaningless unless it's followed up by an action plan. Here's Tyler.
8: One of the things that when I got there, I thought was a a particularly effective uh, tool at the board meeting was the the chair of the board was actually a former uh, Chevron uh, executive, perhaps you want to call him, and he would actually teach uh, at Chevron on how to hold meetings. And so there was, it was, it was an un, it was the board meetings went were unusual <laughs> to any other board meeting I've been to, but they were highly effective. Um, and one I, one of the the most effective parts of how the board meeting was run, and we continue to run it, is at the end of the board meeting uh, to do to um, check in with the people that have action steps. So, you know, there's times where we come up with good plans during the board meeting and we think, oh yeah, this person's gonna take care of it or that person's gonna take care of it. And the next board meeting comes around and no one's done anything because it just, it was a good idea, and it, but it just fell through the cracks. No one took ownership of it. So at the end of the board meeting, uh, we go through and look at the action items and say, oh, so the, you know, the, the window in the kitchen needs to be replaced. So, you know, Bob, the head, elder, head deacon is going to replace it by this upcoming, you know, Sabbath or by next board meeting or, you know, so there's a, a person that's assigned, there's the, the, the action item that's identified, the person is assigned to it, and a time frame is given. And that way, everyone is on the same page in terms of what's expected and it, when it's expected by and that way, uh, very few things fall through the cracks. Uh, it's it's good because everyone, and and you know, if, if there was someone else that wanted to help with the replacement window, for example, you know, they would know that Bob is the person to connect with. So it, it, it helped cut down on, on overlap or, or redundancy, you know, someone else trying to wanna come in and, and, and do it. And then Bob comes in and it's already done or, or you know, things like that. Um, so it it just helps smooth out the, the whole process. Uh, things get done in a timely manner. Um, if things don't get done, we know you know who to talk to about it. Um, we know, you know, and usually there's a reason why you know, not just well. I guess they forgot about it. Um, and so it helps increase the accountability, uh, and and just things get done uh, in a in a smooth orderly fashion.
2: And that brings us to powerful board tip number three. Stay mission-focused. Now that we've covered the preparation and the process for making good decisions, let's close with a couple pastors who love church board meeting because it's uplifting, unifying, productive, and fun. When you focus on mission? Let's listen to Karen Lewis as she sets the stage for her board meetings.
3: My short and powerful tip is to nix the pastor's devotional and have every single one of them praying, surrendering the agenda and everything to God's spirit. Number one, that would be, that's huge. That's huge because you're reminding them of their need to get out of the way and let the spirit drive right and i even say when i pray lord this isn't my church this is your church your ceo you take your you sit there you take your rightful seat because it's your direction it's your church it's your mission right and so we remind ourselves every month to get out of the way and let the holy spirit lead and he does he does you know Instead of here we are, you know, the night before a board meeting. Oh, let's see what devotional am I going to give? You know, oh, uh, let's see. Oh, did I did I tell this one before? You know, forget all that stuff. Just let's pray. I, I think it's a much better uh, use of time than trying to figure out a devotional.
2: And listen to Dustin Cerns as he describes what it's like to attend a board meeting at his church plant in Tacoma.
9: My thought is when in my experiences when leaders on the church board are growing spiritually and missionally, the church grows. So I want my leaders to come away from each board meeting saying, wow, God is really working among us and we are moving forward together in faith in his mission. And so that's, that's why, that's what I want them to experience more than just a, uh, a session on, on business, or we made important decisions, or we looked at numbers. Um, And so so some ways that we do that are um are we we want to have one minute ministry reports for people to share how god has been working in their ministry because i want the voices of those who are actually doing ministry to become far more influential than those who have strong opinions and love giving advice um there's there's a number of ways uh coming at it from that but some tangible practical things that we've done for example was we took a map of our area and we just had the leaders uh, think about places that we don't have any avenous presence right nearby and and to pick out some places that we can start praying for. And and we actually voted or chose our top places we wanted to start praying for and, uh, and just praying that God would raise up a group or some kind of Adventist presence in that area. And actually, um, we ended up Actually, the church plant that I'm leading uh, is being planted in one of those areas that the church board started praying for um, a year or two earlier. Uh, Another couple practical ways is just to get the church board uh, calling all the members and seeing how they can minister to them, you know, so to call the members and see how they can help them uh, grow in their life and their walk with God and in their mission for him. Um, A couple other examples would just be... um, Uh, challenging the church board leaders to when we do a wave of groups uh, to challenge the church board leaders to lead a group um, in their ministry area, giving them easy on ramps for how they can lead people spiritually more than just uh, be a program or event planner or advice giver. Uh, so uh, there's other ways as well, planning harvest evangelism, harvest cycles together. Of How are we going to uh, move the entire church through this sow, grow, reap, keep, repeat process and to give input along the way and to also not just give input, but to be the ones to help lead and carry it out. So those are just a few examples of how I want to help my church board leaders grow spiritually and missionally. Um, be inspired through the church board experience and work together to carry out mission um, in our area and beyond. And we close with Karen Lewis, who describes what it's like to tend her board as
2: they begin to move more towards a theocracy model.
3: The very next thing that we do is before we even get into clerk's report or anything else is I have every leader share where they see God working in the last month we want to be able to acknowledge that God is working, that he is active in ministry, and we need to cooperate with what he is already doing in our church, right? And so when we start out like that, it's exciting because it's showing us that God is indeed in our midst and he is working and our job is just to join him and cooperate with what he's doing. Because think about it, when you start at a board meeting well let's see our time is down well uh, you know i mean it's a bummer and, and no one wants to be there and then it's all of a sudden well what's that what's next you know power turf and control you know so i just find that it's so much easier uh to do that you know and if, if if people have sh- uh, sh- uh, stories to share, let's, by all means, let's hear that.
2: Thanks, everyone, for your powerful tips for church boards. I know we've only scratched the surface. So for a deeper dive, go to our show notes at nadministerial.com slash podcasts. I hope this episode has been as insightful and inspiring for you as it was for me. It's my hope that your church boards will be more uplifting, unifying, productive, and fun. Thanks for joining us for NAD Ministerial's Best Practices Adventist Ministry Podcast. We're available on all your favorite platforms, so please like, share, and subscribe so you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. We're here to help you grow. Keep going. But most of all, keep growing for God's glory.
0: Adventist Ministry. Adventist Ministry Podcast is a production of NAD Ministerial. Executive producer, Ivan Williams. Designed by Halloran Hilton Hill for NAD, from anything is possible. Written and produced by Dave Gimmel. Edited by Taizzi Snyder. NAD Ministerial.